Welcome to New Realities. My name is Alan Steinfeld, and I do this program because of experiences I've had with other beings, other, other levels of consciousness, and I love to find people that, well, who've had similar experiences, who are really leaders in the field of this, and that's why I'm so happy to have with me Deborah Jordan Cobble, and she is the author of this new book called Con Extraordinary Contact, Life Beyond Intruders. And um, if you don't know what Intruders was, it was uh, uh, one of Bud Hopkins, who was a leader in the field. Um, it was a book where you really told your story about your, your abduction experience. And it was quite a breakthrough, I think, for Bud and for the world, because somehow your story laid out a bigger picture of the of the situation would you agree is that why you feel your story is important in the abduction literature i i i wondered i'm sorry i you know i was thinking i'm going back to a time when i was in the uh studio with bud after uh, one of the first visits i made to new york after i made contact with him after june 30th 83 incident and um I remember him pointing out to me a bo multiple boxes of letters. He said, there are hundreds and hundreds of letters in this, in this office here from people that had read, uh, that had read his book, Missing Time, which I was one of them. And that's how I got to him. You know, I got the address out of that book. And I, I had this little epiphany and it's like, well, I was in this box with all these other people. Why is it my letter the one that you answered? Why am I the one that you, you know, started this investigation on and now we want to write another book? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, that's the $64,000 question, kid. I don't know. And I said, maybe it's destiny. And he goes, maybe. He didn't really that, believe that, in that. But. No, but that is pretty amazing. It's hundreds of letters in this box of people mm -hmm. who've written to him and want to tell them their story. You wrote your letter and he just kind of pulls you out of the bot he just pulls you out of the file and and contacts you and um i think one of the differences between uh, what made our our case stand out at that time was that we had uh physical evidence along with the things that i'd remembered which was not real common back then and you know with the mark in the yard and we also had independent witnesses which is another thing that isn't wasn't necessarily common back then and i think that's why our case stood out back in 1983 so uh, do you do you also think that somehow and who knows there was you were direct they those beings the phenomena directed bud in a sense to focus on you because you had such a kind of um lifetime of experience that other people don't have yeah i did i do have yeah an entire lifetime of experiences. Right. And I do feel now uh, that, you know, looking back, I, I feel that there was some external direction in my life and the things I've been through and seen and the changes in me, uh, I almost, I feel as if um, I have some role, I have some destiny yeah. in this. No, go ahead. What were you saying? And no, I just oh. do. I, I just feel that um, I was born for this this point of my life. Everything in my life has has guided me and aimed me to this point in my life. 
Well, so. I have to say it's an incredible story. I, you know, I figured, you know, I've read so many uh, abduction books and I figured, oh, this is another one. I could not put this book down. I, there was something really captivating and readable and relatable because of my experience. Uh, but yours is so much more full blown and it's, um, <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's fantastic. It's fascinating. And, and, and what I liked is that you really work through the fear in the book and you, at, by the end of the book, you, you've resolved those traumas. It feels like, mm -hmm. what was the key to resolve? Because I'm looking to understand how do we resolve such a, such a shocking trauma of being confronted by beings that we are totally not prepared for. So I, well, I think everyone's different because everybody deals with things in different ways. For me, um, I kind of convinced, I kind of talked myself into feeling safe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what I would tell myself things like, well, look, if they wanted to hurt me, I'd already be dead. You know, um, if they want to hurt any of us, uh, we'd already be gone. Because, uh, I mean, from what I could see, what they were capable of, we were not close to that. So, you know, I, I, and I kept trying to tell myself, look, you know, look what you remember seeing, but you're okay. You're, you're here. You're okay. Yeah. I, I had some damage to my eyes, you know, after June 30th, yeah. 83, but even at that very moment that things were happening, something was telling me something outside of me was telling me that uh, it was unfortunate that I had felt this pain. And I was left with the feeling, uh, later on in life that almost I felt like I was being protected or guided. And honest to God, I've, I'm a cat with nine lives. And I think I've spent uh, three or four of them now it's at 62, almost 63. And um, there, there's been several times in my life I should have died and I did not. And it mystifies my doctors. And so I feel like I've been kind of protected and that's given me some comfort and, and allowed me to relax a little and kind of absorb some more of this and, you know, learn something. Yeah, I from you it. had a hard time. It wasn't, I mean, oh, yeah. you went through awful things. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, well, just the human side of it, watching your husband shoot himself. I mean, that was, I've I mean, had things happen in my life that I, nobody, I've no people my age that haven't experienced one of those things. And I've had a boatload of them. I mean, I had a tornado drop a house on me and I, I was dug out of the debris, you know, uh, with the scratch, without a scratch on me, you know? And like you said, I watched my late husband commit suicide in front of me and every sheriff in Howard County. Um, and yet, and it's been 26 years and I can mm. look back on that time now. I mean, I was broke up then I was, it was pretty tore up and traumatic, but now, 26 years later, I can look back on that and say almost it, people think I'm insane because I'll say that was a gift to me that I was placed in there, that position where I was, because had I not had I not had that low and that drama and that trauma, I would not have been catapulted to where I've been now. I look at myself as a little bean in a slingshot. And, and when I'm pulled down in the down in the deepest parts of my life and the things like that, that happened and the other, like the June 30, 83 trauma, you know, well, I feel like the further down I'm pulled, whenever, whoever's pulling the, whoever's holding the slingshot, 
when they let go of me, I go higher. And the farther yeah. down I go, the higher I go. See what I mean? Yeah, that's how I, I that's how I see this. I'm it's almost like I can pull myself out of it and look at my life and my world from somewhere else. Well, there was one key point in the book where you hear the voice talking to you and they're talking about the upgrade in the vibration where you're really looking at the fear, dealing with it. And somehow that's a shift. You like shift your consciousness because somehow you were able to integrate the traumas, right? That was that a key, what? I, yeah, yeah, that night in June, when yeah. I was hit with that light, I mean, yeah. I, I said it to Bud and he kind of, you know, he was very sympathetic, but you know how Bud was, uh, you know, he was nuts and bolts and in the emergency yeah. room of the whole, uh, you know, phenomenon. So he saw a lot of messed up poor, like me people, yeah. but I kept telling him something in me changed, something's different. I'm it's like that night, something died in me and something was reborn at the same time. And it was these birth pains that I struggled through in that first year, mm -hmm. you know, when I felt like I was having an, uh, you know, I having a nervous breakdown practically. Right. Yeah. So. But what was that moment? Because I, I want people to read the book, but what exactly happened? So it was after your experience in 1983. And then what happens at that time where you see the light and everything changed? Can you that was that? 1983. That was, yeah. that was part of the experience in 83 when I was out in the yard looking for what I thought were prowlers. And as I stepped right. out of the garage to get, to leave the garage that was attached to the house, that's when that light hit me in the chest. I mean, it started like right here where your, I guess your solar plexus is like mm -hmm. between your chest and your, your abdomen. Mm -hmm. And it spread all through me and I felt vibrating. I felt like my body was vibrating. Right. I was, I was frozen. I couldn't move. I was like, time was froze. And, but I could feel like every single molecule of my being vibrate independently. Like I come apart mm -hmm. and then the light was so intense and bright that I know my eyes were shut, but I could still see it. And, and at one point I, you know, I couldn't tell whether it was, coming into me or coming out of me. You know, it's like I was imploding and exploding at the same time. It's just the weirdest feeling. And it seemed like it lasted forever, but I know it didn't. And then when it stopped, I was now outside the, the garage door. I don't recall how I got there. Uh, the vibration stopped, the pain in my eyes stopped. My vision was now blown. I mean, I had blotches all over my vision. And my eyes were never the same after that, but, and I saw movement out in front of me in the yard. And then I saw that small egg shaped thing off to my left mm -hmm. that I thought were little kids in the yard were moving towards it, you know, but when that light hit me, that's when something in me changed. I mean, I'd had memories of experiences previous to June 30, 83, mm -hmm. in particular, one that was my parent, my, my husband at the time and my family, my mom tried to tell me, oh, you just had a bad dream. I'm like, no, this was not a dream. I was not asleep. And I told him these two gray guys, I called them gray guys yeah. were in my bedroom. I'm laying in bed next to my husband at the time. He's sound asleep and I can't wake him up. And as they move closer to me, I'm panicking and freaking out. I'm like, please don't touch me. Don't kill me. You know, that was... But then I don't know how 
suddenly I'm not afraid anymore. I'm calm. They have this black box that they float to me. I ask them if I can have it. What, what is it? And they said, no, you can't have it, but you'll, when you see it again, you'll know how to use it. You know what it's for. I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, and then they went away and I fell asleep. As soon as they left, I just went right out. And then when I woke up in the morning, I remembered everything. And I told my husband, I was freaking out and told my mom, called my mom and told her on the phone. They're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but something had happened. Um, well, what was, but you didn't integrate it till much later. You right. Didn't, uh, so like at that moment, you're saying something shifted in your consciousness, but you, mm-hmm. you aren't aware of it till many years later? Well, something happened to me on June 30th, that, that June 30, 83, when that light hit me, something in me changed. And I think the changes started right away. I was not able to, um, assimilate at all. I mean, it was like too much for me all at once. And I, like I said, I felt like I had a nervous breakdown, but gradually over time, I was able to, you know, sort it out and, sift through it for myself. And and that's when I started realizing that I was really changing and growing. I was reading and learning about things. You know, I'm from Indiana, Midwest girl, born and raised, never went anywhere else, you know, before that I didn't, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have like information in my life about, you know, Eastern religions or philosophy or anything like that. I barely got out of high school. I mean, you know, and, and I mean, so I started coming to these conclusions spiritually and psychically and everything on my own. Mm. And it wasn't until I got older and I got, I got more exposed to the world because of Bud taking me around and meeting people and then, you know, on my own reading and meeting people and realizing, Oh my God, look, I mean, I have come to these conclusions and I've come to this growth and development all by myself out here in the middle of nowhere. It has to mean something because all these other people came to the same thing and they had different lives than me. So this has to be real. Right. But what I'm trying to understand, because in my life, too, what what is the spirit? What is the connection to spiritual awakening in a sense and the abduction and meeting these little beings that don't seem very spiritual? They take people, they take our genetics. So I'm, but I think you're right. That, but where is the spirituality that comes that is awakened through those experiences? I'm not quite sure. I, I can tell you mm. uh, it may be it may have been something that was always in me, Mm. you know, but dormant. I, I started having, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, my mom was a Pentecost, you know, church three days a week. Don't cut your hair, wear long skirts. Daddy was a Catholic altar boy. When they met each other and they were teenagers, they said, by, by organized religion. And they went off and, you know, were 55 years when mom passed. Mm. But, um, so I didn't really go to church or be, or was not raised in a religious household, but it was weird because these people were put in my path in my life as a child. I mean, I would go spend the night with a friend and then their parents would take me to their church. And so I ended up going to a Quaker church and Catholic church and Methodist and Episcopalian. I went to all these different churches as a kid. 
And I saw all these things that I guess must have seeped into me. I began to see, I, I began to realize, look, you guys don't seem to understand that y'all saying the same thing. You're just using different words. You know, I don't know why you're so against each other because it's all the same pretty much. You know what I mean? And this was as a teenager. So I don't know if part of that was a part of, well, obviously it had to be, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. You want to get that? You can get that. Uh, 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 No, because it's probably. That's okay. It's probably spam. Okay. But I'm just trying to make it shut up there. No, it's okay. But, you know, maybe from what you're saying when you're talking, uh, uh, maybe just having contact possibly with these beings somehow shifts the vibrations and opens the mind because I don't think they're of this world. I think they come through some dimensional doorways and right. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, uh, you know, I was even talked to Bud and I'm like, I don't, I don't. I didn't feel like what I was having contact with was like had come in a, in a spacecraft and flown here from another planet. I began, it's almost as if someone was teaching. I feel like someone taught me things. Maybe when I slept, I feel like sometimes when I slept, I went other places. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I felt like there was someone always teaching me and putting these thoughts in my mind that, you know, like, um, the world is not what you think it is. It's not what you see with just your eyes and ears. And that the, at least the ones I've mostly had contact with are right here with what? me, with us, but just in a different plane of existence, you know? But there are ships, though, too. There are these physical craft that, you know, leave marks on your lawn. And I mean, yeah. But I do think you're right. In a but way I don't think those ships are flying from other planets. I oh. think they're, those are vehicles coming. That, I think that's what some of them. I think there's more than one thing going on. Yeah. For yeah. sure. There's multiple things going on and there's multiple agendas. But I believe, in, at least in my case, like, for instance, the ship in the backyard that yeah. everybody calls a spacecraft. There's no way, logically, my mind says, there's no way that six little kids can go in that thing. And fly anywhere. That was not a spaceship in the way we think of spaceships. That that was some kind of a portal or a or a a vehicle means of transportation, temporary, short term. Mm. You know, and so I think, and I think some of the things that we see in the sky at night are that also. They're not coming from other planets. They're coming from maybe some places right here on this planet that we aren't aware of yet, and from another dimension it's like some of them now you know how to open a door and step right into here and then step right back out i also believe there are humans here that know this and know how to do that and are working with somebody over there you know i started getting these thoughts in my head about um extra dimension and interdimensional things. And I began to feel, you know, I got involved with paranormal stuff, quote unquote, ghost hunters in the early two thousands, because I started capturing uh, disembodied voices on audio equipment. And it Mm. seemed like I was getting them more frequently than all of my Mm. cohorts, you know? And I began to, uh, I had an epiphany once one and an EVP I caught, I heard 
everybody heard the man's voice say, are the spirits listening? And another little voice said, can I listen too?" And I had this epiphany that, oh my God, I'm a spirit somewhere else. And someone is listening for me. Right. And, that and that's when that, yeah. it goes and, with what? Go, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, that's when I realized that uh, what I was dealing with here, uh, you know, as far as paranormal stuff goes, was probably not dead people, so to speak. And I had a near-death experience when I gave birth to my first son. And uh, it was several months after I had the, so Robbie was born in July, 79. I had the experience in 78 with the black box and the two gray guys. Mm -hmm. Well, during my near-death experience, I didn't see a white light and tunnels and all that stuff, but I did know that my body was, uh, I felt it detached from my, I felt me detached from my body. And I heard the voices go farther and farther away. You know, the doctors and the screaming and all the noise I had, what happened was my heart stopped twice in delivery and I had to be resuscitated. Mm -hmm. And then I heard a voice in my head that said, uh, you can't leave yet. Your little baby, you just had a baby. And I think that was a nurse whispering in my ear, but before she mentioned that I had a baby, I'd completely forgotten that I had the baby. I just wanted to get out of the body. I was banging on this black box, but I feel like uh, something didn't let me out because they knew I wasn't done here yet. And then when the nurse said baby, I'm like, oh my God, I just had a baby. I can't leave, you know, and then boom, I reattached. And then I was talking to Whitley about it, not too terribly long ago, maybe uh, early, late last, this last summer. And he says, you know what, maybe that black box that, that the, the gray guys showed you was the black box that you found your soul in when you tried to leave. Mm. And they, right. Does that feel right? Yes, it does. It feels right. It, Cause it feels like something stopped me from leaving. And it almost kind of gave me a little panic attack afterwards. Like, Oh my God, when I die, am I going to be able to get out of here? You know, but I think when it's time for me to, I will, but I think somebody stopped me in a box or, you know, it's like somebody captured my soul in some other dimension. And that's kind of when my mind just, after I had the near death experience on top of the paranormal experience. And then, uh, you know, later on the June 30, 83 incident, all of these different things combined in me all at once, like the perfect storm. And it just flipped open switches in my head. I told somebody, I think I grew some extra circuits up here because I started to realize I started to see more and I started to learn more and hear more, you know what I mean? And grow. And that's when it really flipped. It was kind of like, I was going to say the June 30 incident was kind of, you know, the, the light and the, the electrical, like the brightness, it was almost like somebody plugged me in. I, I got all my wiring done and then someone plugged me in on June 30th and then it went. <laughs> so, so what you what's happened to you is what we're all capable of when we open up this greater part of our mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like I wanted to talk to you about what you were saying to Richard Dolan when you had that conversation with the orb of light. And can you tell us that you, you were thinking just not too long ago that this orb came to you and the orb said to you, you look like an orb from where they are. Yes. Being, yeah. Talk about that. I, it, well, really... it was just a, an odd little thing. Um, I think I wrote it down here. I'm so I'm getting old. So I no, it's okay. I, that's why I wrote a book because, you know, daddy had dementia. Um, my sister, my older sister has dementia. No, but and you're I, getting smarter. 
I know, but I, I just don't want to lose all. I feel like my brain isn't big enough. Uh, let's see. But you had that was a really interesting conversation from the perspective of you being an orb. We're all little lights from this other level of awareness. And that always made sense to me that who we really are are just lights, light beings, light essences inside this physical body. So um, that's okay. I mean, it's. I think no, I do. Re I remember it. Um, and just, I just remember it said, you know, you, uh, you look like this, you know, I, I saw these little flecks of light and basically it's like, you look like this to us, you know, but, uh, mm. and, and they said I was brighter than mm. some other ones and they, they noticed it, but, mm. but, but where they live, they look like me. Mm -hmm see so it's like i guess in a mirror are we you think are we from like you say yeah the these ets or whatever they are are not really coming from someplace this is what jacques Vallée says maybe they there's something bigger here in this dimension for sure that we are not aware of that we here, um, found it. oh you found it go ahead well go ahead. okay i was out yeah. i was out taking a, a walk is uh -huh. when it happened. I was awake. It wasn't a dream or anything. So I was out taking a walk. And a lot of times when I'm outside in nature walking, I kind of zone out. Mm -hmm. And then I, I heard it, this voice that came in my head. It said, Hey, Deb, from this side, you look like a little bright bubble of light, just floating through your daily life out here in our darkness. You are brighter than most. We see all of your kind out here, but you are only perceivable as light here. But when you see, but when you see tiny lights, that's how we look to you from where you are. But actually here where we are, we look like you. And I said, so are you dead? And it kind of chuckled and said, I'm as, as alive as you are. And then I asked, are you the gray guys? And it said, no, we're your future. And then it went quiet. Wow. They're our future. That's, That's what he said. I love that you get these messages and um, I had, and I write them down because <laughs> I remember them, but I don't remember the little details. So that way I write them all down. So I remember I had a dream uh, not too long ago. It was a really vivid one. You might get a kick out of this. I'd like to hear it. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, I visited my great, 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 great grandson from the future. He came and got me and took me to the future. And he took me to this really neat hospital slash hotel place or whatever. But the one thing I remembered that stuck in my head in this dream was that when I went to the bathroom, the toilet could tell you your health based on what you did in there. It could tell you if what vitamins you needed, wow. if you had some sickness going on, it like evaluated your whole health situation wow. by what came out of you. <laughs> that is the future. That really is. And the thing about that one was, uh, that was, uh, I had that one quite a while back, you know, before any of that, somebody said to me, Ooh, you should patent that idea. <laughs> they they probably can do that. They just can do it in a lab, not on a toilet, but that probably is something that that is happening. But what do you think the big picture here is? If these beings are coming maybe interdimensionally, 
why they're taking our genetics for sure. I mean, I think uh, sperm, eggs, they're creating this race of beings, but are, it's the body, but they're going interdimensionally. Is our body, is our bodies, the body itself more than just this dimension? And you mentioned the blood, is the blood a kind of interdimensional sort of vehicle of the soul possibly i mean i mean no one knows these answers but i'm just curious what you think because they're i'm just trying to figure it out with you what's really going on well when i you know i had been told many over and over again by whatever was teaching me things that all the answers that we sought were in our blood and then i i kept you know and i told bud that bud knew about it you know, I've told John Carpenter, I told Forrest Crawford, I told a lot of researchers at the time, I told Linda Howe, anybody who would listen to me, I told, you just right. look at my blood, look at my blood, look at, look at everybody's blood, you know, and um, now I think what it was referring to was DNA, mm. and I feel like DNA is more than just, I think that there are messages I think there's history encoded in our DNA that tell us exactly who we are, where we come from mm -hmm. and where we're going. And I also believe that human beings are very powerful, magnificent beings that we don't mm -hmm. realize it. We don't understand how powerful our thoughts are mm -hmm. and that we, I feel that uh, our thought, I mean, look around you, everything around you was began, began with a thought. Mm -hmm. Our thoughts are powerful and mm -hmm. uh, human beings need to recognize that. And they need to, um, you know, some people don't want to be responsible. Be so that way, when things go awry, they can blame someone else, but it's not yeah. how it works. You know, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause you reminded me the thing that really turned me on to you was that last page of intruders. I just want to read it because it's so dramatic. It's such a well uh, written thing. This is your talking to a group of people and, and Bud Hopkins ends the book with this. It's that last paragraph. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember. It's been so long. Well, it's you address a group of people, uh, abductees, and you say, none of us know what the UFO phenomena really is or what its ultimate purpose may be. But in the absence of answers, we must at least act upon our feelings. In place of simple-minded ridicule and dismissal so often encountered, we must offer understanding and heartfelt emotional support to these fellow human beings who have endured such profoundly unsettling, unfathomable, truly alien experiences. They are, in every sense of the word, victims, and yet unasked. They are also pioneers. For good or for ill, they have seen the future. That's you speaking there at the end of Intruders. I think it's you. I don't know. I don't remember. Yes, Kathy's. Yeah, I think you say this a few moments late. Yeah, you're at a meeting. It's the last part. But that was just really beautiful. Um, you know, sometimes I say things and I wonder if I'm actually the one saying them because. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you're at this meeting and then Bud is noticing Kathy's bitterness and sadness filled her for a while while she sat in silence. A few minutes later, she added something about her feelings of anger towards the UFO experiences. And you say, when I talked 
about being angry because of what they're doing. It's always has to do with children. When they started fooling around the kids, it was little kids, uh, Tommy mm -hmm. and Robbie. I got mad, really mad. Not for yeah. myself. Yeah. Right. I do. I get, uh, I was angry and I, you know, yeah. I felt like I was, um, I didn't ask for any of this and mm -hmm. almost I was more angry at people because people were such jerks and wouldn't, mm -hmm. didn't want to hear what we were, yeah. what me or people like me were saying. Mm -hmm. The, the stigma was horrible in 38 years ago. It's right. much better now, but it needs work. Yeah, and no, it's still, it still yeah, needs a lot of work. It needs a lot yeah. of work, but, but, but buddy, back 38 years ago, uh, yeah. you know, I often wondered if I was just crazy for speaking out. Um, right. Somebody yeah. said people would make comments like, oh, you just want to be famous and make, make a book. I'm like, who in their right mind would want to be famous for that? No, no, no. I think maybe that <laughs> actually what I read may have been Bud's words commenting on your. It sounds more like Bud. I think it was Bud's word. And it's really well written, but it really took me. But you went from anger into kind of, um, well, how did you work through the anger and into the acceptance? But, uh, I mean, how do you let go of the fear? I mean, through the book that you wrote, you do it, but you know, there is something very not nice about them taking children and people and genetics. And, and I mean, this, this is huge. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, in my mind. Well, you know, in the beginning, I always, I, like I told Bud, I, I thought about it all as dreams mm -hmm. because that's the only way I could live with it. I had two little kids to raise. And at that point I was a single mom. So I had a big, big plate to fill, you know, and I couldn't afford to be, lose my marbles, uh, with something that I couldn't, you know, that I didn't have any solid proof of other than the mark in the backyard and the neighbors, th something that the rest of the world would consider me crazy about. So I had to put it in a place where I could leave it and try to function. And then, but the world, or whatever is going on had different ideas for me uh, because little things would come at me. I would have all these just strange, you know, like in my book, I would all the little strings, like I met the weird guy at Walmart that time who looked strange at me. Yeah. Um, you know, mom and I had that sighting in 84 of that black boomerang like thing over the house, yeah. just yeah. all kinds of little things like that would happen. And people would come into my life. Uh, Bud came into my life. It just began to seem as if there was some kind of purpose to the madness. And I, and I, like I said, I started to convince myself that I was okay, that I was safe because I'm still here, you know, and they didn't kill me, you know, that you just kind of talk. I just kind of talked myself into that. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, when Bud started to show me what other people were drawing and saying, I didn't handle it very well. I the first time he showed me a drawing of an alien head you know mm -hmm. the big eyes yeah I literally threw up because it struck me so hard because there were only two ways this woman could have got drawn what I saw so well even down to the shading yeah and it was either she got in my head and saw what I had in my head or she saw the same thing I did well I knew she hadn't gotten into my head so, I mean, it was validation and Bud thought it would give me comfort and eventually it did, 
mm-hmm. but in the beginning it did not it actually kind of screwed up my coping mechanism nope. for a while you know i couldn't say it was a dream anymore no but that's the thing i think the world is now starting to kind of come to terms with as the government comes out i'm sure you've been following the mm-hmm. disclosure news it's like yes you yes you had to I mean, I'm, you know, I think I, I mean, you are much more extreme your experience, but I think I had some kind of contact since I was young. And I, I think, how is this even possible to consider in a world that doesn't give any value to it? Like walking around like this just isn't even possible. But I've heard Louis, Louis Alexander asked, being asked about abductions. And he said something like, these beings have no right to come and take us. He was well aware of what's happening, but still there's our world. And, uh, and then there's the world that thinks this is just insane. You know, I mean, John Mack would call it ontological shock, the shock that reality isn't what people have thought it was. And so I think what you're doing and your work and Bud, of course, was a leader in this. We're trying to show people reality is not what they thought it was. I mean, and and they're so much like this scientists. You know, you look look at Neil deGrasse Tyson on on someone asking about UAPs. He goes, "Oh, those are just artifacts of the radar." It's like it's like how can smart people be so dumb? You know, he, he gets on my nerves. <laughs> He's awful, awful. <laughs> It's, I mean, cause they're, this is what I'm, I'm just a little hick from Indiana, but even I can realize that, okay, you guys are looking at this with human earth, human science here in this existence, whatever. This might be gobbledygook somewhere else. Who the hell knows? And how you don't know, they don't know. They like to think they do, but when it comes to this, they don't know any more than anybody else because nothing nothing at all could be you know like i uh i've said i might be like ants to them i might not even be aware of their whole life like ants are living in the dirt in that little hole in the ground down here on my patio just going around dragging dirt and leaves and everything and having their little life and they don't even know i exist but i'm here right here and all i got to do is step on them and squish them and they're gone poof bye you know what I mean? Maybe we're the ants and everything we think we know about science doesn't apply where they're from and makes no sense to them. So why, I don't know why these guys get all high and mighty. Like when we're talking about something that's not even human, we may not even be able to conceive in our brains might not even be able to think right. what they are, what they do. Anything that I talk about or write, it's my opinion because I don't have, I'm not a scientist and I, I'm going on my gut and my instinct. And, but and, your experience too, your experience. And that's why I like talking to you and people like you, because my experience, was it a dream? Was it this? I don't know. But your experience 
is undeniable. I I don't think you right. So, no, the like the mark in the yard and and right. other things that I've seen with other people. You know, right. we all have to be crazy at the same time. I don't think that's likely. So, <laughs> so how is that? How do we get the world to wake up to this bigger thing that's obviously here? It's in the skies. It's around. It's it's what we're doing right now. Okay. Your podcast, me talking and making a fool out of myself on TV and public, just, you know, like I, you know, I wrote the book for people. I wrote it for my granddaughter and for all the people in my life that will come after me and my family. So they know me, they know the real story. They know it from the horse's mouth and they know where they came from and who they are. Okay. And, uh, for everyone like me out there who mm-hmm. has had these experiences and at least I, I, I don't have a lot of answers, but I can show you that I have so far come through it all mostly in one piece and fairly and, okay. And better off, better off for it. But yeah, isn't it comforting? I'm going to show a picture of you and some other like well-known abductees. Here you are back in whenever that was that's betty hill travis walton and i don't know this other woman that's rosemary osnato she worked with bud in new york a lot and bud uh introduced us together and she was kind of like one of my big sister buddies you know Mm. in his little buddy system right right right. but betty hill that case really kicked every betty and barney hill that Mm -hmm. is the story and travis love travis spent a lot of time talking to him interviewing him he spent five days aboard a ship and people are always trying to tear him down but he's stuck with it these are people don't you feel a sort of connection with these people that you don't find with other people somehow yes um it's like i can walk into a room and talk to people and within a couple of minutes i know what you've had happen i don't know why but i just Mm. feel it it's the connection Uh, do you think something always... happened with me? Do you feel any? Do you think? You well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm obsessed with. Uh, yeah, you yeah. you don't get that way for no reason. <laughs> you know, I used to tell Bud all the time. Bud, did you have something? Nope, 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 nope. I saw a UFO with some friends on the Cape one time. We thought mm-hmm. it was, but that's it. Nope. I said, Are you sure you haven't been abducted? Nope, nope, nope. And I'm like, I don't know. I always kind of felt like there was well, something more there. And he well, just look at his look at his series. I think I'll show his painting series, right? The Watchers. I, the Guardians. The Guardians. Yes. 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 I mean, that is something. Maybe I have a book of his somewhere here. But he, I have a couple of his Guardian works on my wall here in my office. I wish I could turn my I can't lift yeah. my computer. It's all one big giant thing. Here's so one of these Guardians, mm-hmm. these beings that that he just would create. And I, I, I think Bud was really, you know, afraid and supplementing that fear by working with other people. Um, I, I mean, he was a great guy, but I, I, here's, one of, here's one of his original guardians. I and, have that actual one. I have the actual lithograph of that one right up on my wall. Oh, you have the lithograph of that one. That's great. Yeah. No, Bud would call these beings because they were like beings, guardians. So what do you think 
happened to Bud that he, I mean, he was a great wow. guy, but he was in denial of that coach. <laughs> yeah. There I go. Oh, I just want you to see how weird it is that oh. we have, you whipped out the same one. Wait, let me, <laughs> let me just um, put this back on. Yes, this is an original that you have. That is great. Isn't that weird? Carol Rainey gave this to me. Oh, his, yeah. Uh, like Carol, yeah. This is an original. This is this a lithog? I guess this is a lithograph or a drawing or something. This, this is a uh, uh, this is a lithograph of what he did. So, but it's just so funny that you have the exact same one. I know. <laughs> the universe speaks to us in many different ways, and I sometimes know. it's just little stuff like this. But the guardians, he called this whole series the guardian series. So maybe. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, don't be sorry. I think that's great. I had to do that. When I saw it, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm glad you did that. Evidence of Unseen was the name of this collection of uh, pictures. Um, but I think Bud did. Um, and maybe he had too much fear or supplemented uh, it. He was the most uh, compassionate and empathic person I ever met. He had such great compassion and, and heartfelt uh, care and concern for people. And I always said he was in the emergency room of the entire abduction UFO thing. Mm -hmm. He saw the most damaged people like me. And it was hard on him. I know it was. It broke his heart. There were mm -hmm. times when he would cry with me. Wow. And, uh, you know, that takes a toll on you after a while. And I mm -hmm. think that it, um, he took on a lot of people's pain. Mm, and mm. Uh, and that drove him he just wanted to help he well, just wanted I, to help yeah he was a great guy I, I I'm actually I cried at some parts in your book it was they were really touching like the like you talk about that guy Lars that you meet and even Bud was like when I told him about meeting this guy on the bus. Welcome, can you talk about that a little bit the whole story <laughs> because people haven't read the book but it's so it's just that's a whole book in and of itself. That whole 17 hour bus trip. That was my first trip to New York after I met, you know, after I got, you know, in touch with Bud, I had yeah. gone to New York, sold my, my uh, washer and dryer that was in uh, storage to get a bus ticket to go. <laughs> Thought I was insane. Almost jumped off the bus halfway there. Like, what are you doing? You don't even know this guy. He could be an ax murderer, you know? Right. <laughs> so, but on the way home, um, first stop was in Pennsylvania somewhere. I think it was in Philadelphia. And mm. I had, I was not a, I, I was very young. I was like 23. I didn't travel well. Cause I didn't, I was always afraid of getting lost, which I think stemmed from earlier and um, from younger things. you know, when I was younger, but, oh, the but contact um, experiences. yeah. So, uh, but and on the way there, I was, you know, leery of people. We were going to the big city, New York. You know, I saw all the movies and things. I had this yeah. pre pre conditioned right. in my head about what it was. So I like slept with my purse, like wrapped around my neck, bunched up. So no one touched me, you know. And so on the way home, I thought, by God, I don't want to sit with anybody. Those people scare me. Right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just going to pretend like I'm asleep and lay out here on this, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, bench seat, the bus, and maybe people leave me alone. Hopefully it won't be a full bus. And they won't make me get up. Mm -hmm. And I felt the people getting on 
And I I popped my head up over the bus seat to just to kind of peek and see who was getting on. And Lars was on stepped on the bus and was walking up the bus, the steps. And it was like looking straight at me as he got on the bus. It was like he was getting on there, like he knew I was there. Mm. And it he was so gorgeous. <laughs> he was the most gorgeous, perfect human being I'd ever seen in my life. He literally took my breath away. When I saw him, I was like, <gasps> and I ducked my head back down. And I and I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, if I have to sit with someone, I hope it's him. Please, God, let it be. <laughs> because he was so gorgeous. He had like his hair was down about his shoulders, kind of sandy blonde, wavy, mm. the beautiful face, chiseled, you know, the beautiful wow. chin, perfect mouth. And his eyes were so blue and they wow. locked on me the moment that we made mm. eye contact and he just smiled. And I was like, <laughs> do you think it was a soul connection or something? Well, anyway, I don't know. It was just, but tell, tell people what happened then, because it was just like, um, magic. The whole, the whole bus trip was weird. At one point, the bus stopped in the middle of nowhere in this field. I mean, we were like driving through the middle of nowhere and the bus driver just pulls over and it's like, can't, there's nothing around. You could see some grass and stuff from the bus lights outside the bus on side. But, and then I'm like, well, what's going on? What's happening? And and he says, Lars says to me, don't, no, don't worry. It's okay. And I'm like, but why are we stopped? You know, and we could see the bus driver like walking out into the darkness. And I'm like, where's he going? What's happening? He go, and Lars says, maybe he's just going to the bathroom. And I said, oh, there's a bathroom right here behind us in the bus, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was weird. He came back and we left. Then we had this strange where we stopped at the, um, in the middle of the night, we stopped at this really cool bus station, like truck stop thing. And I thought it was so cool. Cause it was like double deckered kind of round and all yeah. lit up. And I thought, Oh, that is so cool. You know, yeah. we got there. I was the only one who got off the bus and I went in and got something to eat. Cause I was hungry. Even Lars said, no, I'm not hungry. Y'all stay here. You just go. It was me and the bus driver, the only one that got right. off. So I went in and I got my food and it was two girls that looked like twins and an old guy. And everybody had brown hair and brown eyes. You know, they looked right. related. And I sat down to eat my food and I thought, oh, this tastes like crap. You know, yeah. everything tasted <laughs> like cardboard. And the, even the orange juice tasted just like water. It was gross. But I thought, okay, I'm hungry. So I ate it and everyone in there was just staring at me as I ate the stuff. Even the bus driver who was sitting at a table and had a cup of coffee in his hand was staring at me. Uh -huh. I'm like, this is kind of weird, but I'm hungry and maybe I'm just tired, you know? So I go to the, I go to the bathroom before I get back on the bus. When I open the bathroom door, there's a mirror is facing the door. So you would think when you open the door and you walk in, the first thing you see is you, right? Yeah. When I opened the door, the first thing I saw was a girl, a white, blonde, white hair, big blue eyes, and the most beautiful, like cobalt blue shirt on. And I was like, <gasps> I was taken aback because I expected to look up and see myself in the mirror. And then when I saw that, I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, rub my eyes. And when I look again, it's just me. And I'm like, wow. I, my, I thought I must be really tired. Mm. 
<laughs> so I went to the bathroom, got back on the bus. Everybody was asleep. The fun part started when we got to, uh, let's see, he was going to, I had to go on to Indianapolis mm-hmm. and he had to go to Cincinnati. We got to Columbus and that's where our bus, that's where we had to change buses, but yeah. we had a layover. Uh-huh. So we, we went to the Burger King in the bus stop and they had a real limited menu. They didn't have a lot, a lot of stuff on there. And he was, I, I said, I'm hungry and let's get something to eat. And we're looking at the menu items and he's asking, what's this? What's this? What's the, like, what's a, you know, a bacon, egg and cheese croissant or whatever. Right. What's And finally he says, just give me one of each and four <laughs> drinks. He got four drinks, I think four orange juice. And the girls looked at him like, uh, okay. You know, he wasn't bad or anything, but, and I got something and we sat down and then I'm thinking in my head, oh my God, I'm, never going to see this guy again uh-huh. and i thought i'll die if i'm not oh. by near him i mean i literally felt like i wow. was breaking apart inside and then i thought in my mind I, he didn't even ask for my phone number and as soon as i thought that he looked up at me and smiled and he goes don't be sad i promise i'll come back for you i will oh. come back and he said there he said there's a place i want to take you near where you live mm-hmm. that is a long silver trailer and i want to take you there and dance with you and I said, okay. And then he said, give me your phone number, you know? And because I thought, oh, he didn't even ask me for my phone number. So he's like, give me your phone number. Then when he said that about dancing with me, I had this thought in my head. It's like, what, at that point in my life, I was young. When I did housework or I was alone in the house, I would turn my stereo up real loud and dance through the house, just dance. And I often felt like someone was watching me, like on the sidelines and you know, I not in a paranoid way, but in right. like a way. And when he said, I want to take you there and dance with you, I remembered. And I thought I never said it out loud, but I thought to myself, are you the one that watches me dance? Mm. I mean, I thought that in my head, you know, he just smiled at me. Then so- after we ate, he says to me, I don't feel good. And he's holding on to his stomach. And I said, what? Uh, I said, well, maybe it's, maybe you got a puke. And he says, what is puke? And I've told him, you know, what's when this stuff comes out. I said, you ate so much crap. I'm not surprised. And uh, I gave him two Pepto-Bismol tablets. Remember those? Yeah. And I said, here, chew on these. He goes, those are interesting. What are those? And he wanted to see the box and he read the ingredients out loud. And then he put the tablets in his shirt pocket. And I said, they're not going to do any good there. And he goes, well, I'll take them later. So we went to the bathroom. And I started to go into the ladies room and he started to follow me. And I said, no, no, you can't come in here. He said, why not? And I said, I said, this is the ladies room. Yours is over there. And I said, you see the pants? That's, that's you see the little dress. That's me girl. And your boy, he goes, oh, okay. I get it. And I'm thinking, damn, don't they have, you know, universal signals, signs in Sweden or wherever it is you said you were from. Yeah. And, uh, so I came, when I went to the bathroom, when I came back out, he was like literally standing right there at the door. I almost knocked him over because <laughs> he was like, didn't want to leave my side. It, it was just the weirdest thing. And uh, I just, I don't know. I had a fiance and two little kids, but I would have followed to wherever. But, but you never did see him again, huh? You never. I never saw him again. I spoke to him on the phone. Uh, right. Bud found him. 
I was able to remember enough details about our conversations that Bub was able to find him in his friend in Columbia, mm. in uh, Cincinnati and talk to his friend and then talk to him. And then I spoke to him on the phone and I mailed a little coin to him, holding mm. hands, a bronze coin. Right. And then he called me, said he got the coin and he would always, uh, um, you know, keep it with him mm. and always think of me. And, uh, and then I never did hear from him again, ever, but. I found out and I tried to find him on the internet for years. Mm -hmm. I was not good with the Google and, you know, this was in the eighties and I didn't even have a computer at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was years and years later, I tried to find him and I found um, just not too many years ago, I actually found his tombstone and where he's buried in Sweden, the plot Mm -hmm. where his grave is, his full, all three names and his date of birth and the death date, his date of birth matches the names match. It has to be him. That has to be why. And the, and the reason that I never heard from him again is because he died within a year of us meeting, but I had had several lucid dreams where he came to me in these dreams. Mm. One of the dreams, he tried to take me somewhere and then realized I wasn't able to go and had to send me back. And, uh, one dream I was in the hospital and he came to see me and asked me why I was there. And the next morning, why I was in the hospital went away and I was released. And, uh, so, uh, I believe that he's still around me. Do you still feel that soul connection to him? Like, like very close, like someone sometimes. Yes, definitely. I wonder what that is. And also, what was that person you saw in the mirror? Was that you on another level that, I mean, I don't know. Well, I do not know. I do not know who it was or why I saw it. Mm. I don't know. Um, Mm. I do. um, Mm. You know, I, I don't know. Well, you know, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate your honesty. I mean, yeah, instead of guessing, it's very, but the other thing I want to talk to you about, and thank you for telling that story because it was really beautifully written in the book. And I had, you know, just hoped you had seen him again. But um, the whole I connection, think I will. you might, he might show up in your dreams. The whole connection, though, between the, the paranormal and the UFO, this is something, you know, in this book, did you read this book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon? That's the latest disclosure book it's Mm -mm. mostly a government here mostly a government inside look at the atip program let me just um they do a lot skin workers of the pentagon uh george knapp is a co-writer and it's um they talk a lot i read the original skinwalkers ranch book but i've not read that one this is the government's take on the skinwalkers ranch this is why they started the atip program and it's it's really interesting, but they do a whole, the, the lot of the book is about the paranormal connection to UFOs, UAPs. And I don't know what, what that is, but it's a direct connection, especially in your life. Uh, absolutely. Even per, the, the Lars uh, guy, yeah. you know, the, one of the first things he asked me on the bus when we started talking was, why were you in New York? And <laughs> I, I didn't want to say. I was there because I think I got abducted by aliens or anything crazy like that. I was already trying to wrestle with that uh, anyway. And um, 
I didn't want to say that. I just said, oh, I was there to, you know, visit some friends and look into some things. And he threw his head back and said, oh, the extraterrestrials will love that. And I said, <laughs> excuse me. I didn't say anything about extraterrestrials or he's like, oh, never mind, never mind. And at that point, it was like someone snapped a finger and I was gone. <laughs> I would I would have followed him off a cliff. Was he just so tuned into you? It was there was a soul connection there? I would say that's like your twin flame soulmate. If you, know, you want to make he kissed up. me. Wow. I let a stranger on a bus kiss me. Oh, <laughs> trust me, that is not me. Like I said, the bus trip down there, I slept with my purse wrapped around my neck, all bunched up in a hole. Just go to New but, York once and your chains, maybe that's I mean, it. God. But yeah, he, he said to me at one point, he says, oh, you know, he was asking me about my children. I said, yeah, I have two little boys. And he's like, it must be so wonderful to have a little piece of you alive and live on, you know, right. in, in another and another being, another human being. And I said, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, and then at one point, he, he just was looking at me. He pulled my hair up behind my ears. You know, I had long blonde hair then he pulled, right. well, he pulled my hair up behind my ears. And he said, um, you know, where I'm from, the women wear their hair like this. And he said, you would look so pretty with that, like that. Wow. You know, I wore my hair pulled back like that for three <laughs> years afterwards. But that's when he said, can I kiss you? Wow. And I just looked at him and said, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but at, it was like lightning bolts. You the could kiss, it's the kiss was yes. like a lightning bolt. Wow. Yeah, I was, and even he, after he kissed me, he kind of backed up and he went, wow, like that, <laughs> like he'd never kissed another person in his life. And I thought, no, I'm not that good, but okay. <laughs> that, that it was is just a, the weirdest stuff. That is like a soulmate or twin flame, whatever kind of metaphysical thing. But it's definitely wasn't a coincidence. That was uh, no. That, Even Rosemary Osnato, the picture of the woman yeah. that you know with uh, Travis that you yeah. showed early, yeah. 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 See, she, she was one of the first ones I told about it. And she even admitted to me later that when she, I told her, she's like, she thought I had just, you know, confabulated the whole story because I was, you know, lonely and di wasn't getting along no. with my fiance well or anything like that. She didn't want to say, but she thought that just can't, that can't be, that just can't be. And I'm like, no, he's real. I'm telling you, he's a real life person. I'm not trying to say he's an alien. He is a person. And then Bud found him. I think mm -hmm. Bud was actually shocked that he found him because I think Bud was, I think Bud thought like Rosemary, like this poor kid has lost her mind. <laughs> that, oh, sorry. That's just as magical as the UFO experiences you've had and all that. But yeah, but the paranormal, uh, paranormal is not a good word, but these otherworldly things that are not even UFO related are somehow connected to this phenomena. What? Yep. What is it though? Is it just the only, the yeah. only common denominator I found? So I got into the paranormal research on the heavy side. Mm -hmm. I was a MUFON investigator for 10 years in Indiana on the UFO side. And then I became a paranormal researcher. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of meshed the two together. The only common denominator I've ever been able to put together is the experiencer themselves. There's mm -hmm. something different about the experiencer. And not just with their experiences, but in other, the way they look at life 
and the, the way their mind thinks. I would almost venture to say there's something physically different about their brain. There's something different about I the just person read an who article. experiences it. I read an article, I'll send this to you, where they talk about being, there's something physically different about experiences brains, actually. There's a part that's more developed or something that non-experiencers don't have. But, but, but it's the experiencer that you're saying is open to the multiple dimensional realities. Is that what you're kind of hinting And I don't at? know if they're, I don't know if, I don't know if they're born that way. It's possible mm -hmm. because it, because Bud and other researchers have, have kind of shown that it's a familial thing, like a generational thing within families. So it's possible that this is some genetic difference in mm -hmm. the way the brain is put together, you know, or, but I often also wondered if, you know, perhaps the experience that self, that in that initial physical contact uh, changed to something, you know, mm. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not a doctor or a scientist, so I don't really know. I'm just seeing this pattern and I'm seeing it in my own life and in my own family. So, well, you know, in my, in my book, um, I'll just um, uh, Grant Cameron writes the second chapter and he says, nobody sees a UFO by mistake. If you've seen it, you were meant to see that, that, that is not just being in the right place at the right time. They have targeted you. So do you think that might be true that, um, yes, that there, that it's all set up on this higher level of, uh, well, I believe, uh, the ones that are, uh, supposed to see that, see it do. We had this conversation with my mom and I had this conversation with, uh, J. Allen Hynek back in 1984, when, uh, mom and I had the sighting of the boomerang shaped thing come over Indianapolis, uh, in April, I think of 84. Um, Bud had given me Kufos's phone number and, uh, also gave me MUFON's phone number, but nobody answered the phone when I called MUFON and I called KUFOS, the Center for UFO Studies, because it was just up in Chicago, a couple. I called their 24-hour uh, UFO report hotline and right. Dr. Heineck answered. That's and amazing. We took my, I know. I feel very fortunate. I wish I would have met him in person. I only met him over the phone. Mm -hmm. We talked on the phone. He interviewed me and my mom. We sent him pictures. He asked us to make drawings of what we saw independently of each other, not together. Right. And then at some point, my mom talked to him. And I don't know if it was that night or if it was the next day or so. But he, my mom told me that he told her that he, of all the years that, you know, he was, he was really on the fence, not really a believer in such when he started his research. But by the time he had gotten where he's at now he uh he had felt that um not everyone was able to see these things yeah. that was the that was the feeling he got and that was in 1984 dr heinick so and you ought to, you already know he's seen a million times more things than me or you are ever going to see so <laughs> uh i thought that was pretty interesting and here they are finally coming around to it in 2021 and 2020 realizing you know that there might be something different. Well, it is all changing. That's sort of what I wanted to kind of, kind of bring around now towards the end of this interview. What is, there's something 
that's I mean, in my opinion, something's coming online, something's gearing up, something's just it seems we're heading towards something, we're closer to something or some event, or maybe people always think that, but it feels like something's coming, doesn't it feel that way to you? Or am I just making that up? Or is it just no, I've been you know? <laughs> I've been hearing it for 38 years, you know, something big is coming, something big is coming. And I've been saying it myself, but something is different. Humans are different. I feel something different in people. I feel this change in human psyche or spirit or whatever. I feel it. I feel it. And it's not a good thing for some folks but it's not a bad thing for some folks. I just feel something is about to happen in my lifetime. And I'm 62. So, you know, I ain't like I'm going to be around for another hundred years or so, but something is going to happen. That's going to change everybody's paradigm is, is about to shift. And I get chills when you say that, but yeah, it's coming. I can feel it. I don't know how to verbalize it. I don't always have the best words. No. I'm not a writer. I write like I talk, which is not that great. I've been you know, you wrote a beautiful book. You wrote a fantastic <laughs> book that I could not put down. I appreciate but, that. But I'm just, you know, sometimes I don't, they don't even make words for the stuff that's in my head. <laughs> At least I don't know. <laughs> but, but do you think maybe the COVID thing had something has something to do with this change? Or is that just maybe not incidental because nothing is, but it seems like that for me prepared us for a unified consciousness, but a world get unified, whatever's left. But when you say people are different, how are people different? How is the consciousness different now? in the general population who may know nothing about this, but how is the world different now than it was? Well, this is my opinion. Yeah. This is just for, based on my little slice of the world here in Indiana and the people I meet and things I see, but it I seems like people are taking sides. Mm. Yeah. They're either going totally shut down or totally full blast wide open. It's the, the chaff is shifting from the, is shifting from the wheat. You know what I mean? I don't know how to, I can see it in my head. I don't know how to verbalize it, but I just feel that, you know? So, and the people, so we're giving a choice now. It sounds like, cause I see it. Everybody has a choice to be closed and, or welcome the unknown. Welcome. There's something. And you can't change some things that will happen to you, but you Mm. can always choose how to respond. Right. That's where your choice is. And you're going to, people are going to make this either a good thing or a bad thing based on their choices. Mm. But it's a planetary thing, whatever. Oh, it's a whole species kind of thing. And it's not the COVID thing. That was a kind of preparation maybe for uh, something or, you know, I mean, that happens. We're human, human beings are organic. We're no different than any other animal on this planet. And plenty of animal species have gone extinct and we're not, we are not protected from that. 
other than that we're supposed to be a lot smarter than we act and we right. could hopefully you know get the edge on because of our brain or our smartness but sometimes that don't work either but this thing that you're seeing because you are a visionary it's it's bigger than that it is it is um a huge shift to the species as as a, as a race of humans is that what you're sensing uh, it, to me it's almost like um a jump in uh what is what is the word they use for evolution it's a it, it's a it's a jump punctuated evolution. evolution yeah like it, a, it's it's not like like evolution has been like this yeah but this is going to be a. Mm. So these two ends come together quickly. It's going to be a big leap. Mm. And, and, and that's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, that's, that's all. No, no, no. You had, was there something more? <laughs> because is, is it related to the ET stuff or whatever these things are? I, maybe they're not, is, is it? I, I don't know that it's related to them, like they're interacting for it or anything. I think they're just watching it because it's interesting to see this happen. Yeah, I feel something like that too. I don't, it's not as clear, from, but I get, I get the sense that we're coming right up to something. I mean, we're coming to the edge of this thing that will, it's going Well, to and you know what? <laughs> when life went berserk back, I don't know, several years ago, I, I immediately said, damn, those people need to turn that Hadron Collider off. They don't know what the hell they're doing and they're going to screw up my space-time continuum. Right. I said, I feel like somebody's ripped a hole in my timeline and some crappy garbage bag is <laughs> leaking this crappy alternative reality all over my world and you need to stop. I think that people have technology beyond our wildest dreams right now, but I don't think we have the emotional maturity or the wisdom to use it correctly. <laughs> in the long term mm. and we might be kind of dangerous we might be like a bunch of monkeys flinging poop all over the universe and somebody needs to throw a net over us i don't know <laughs> well it's it's funny that's it's something like that that's great i'm gonna quote you on that but yeah it's something i'm glad i'm glad you're there here you're writing about it and you're talking about your work because you feel it's, I mean, I get the sense it is your mission. You've had these experiences for a reason. You've survived. You're, and you're. you're and, and all I want to do, I, I don't have any answers. I speculate. All my is speculation. I, I mean, I know there, I have solid facts, but beyond those, it's all just my gut and answer. My feel like my, my main job here is just to make people wake up, pay attention, learn to listen with more than just your ears, learn to see with more than just your eyes, because you can mm -hmm. wake up. Time right. to wake up. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna show the book again. Here is Extraordinary Contact, Life Beyond Intruders, Deborah, Jordan, and Cobble, and it's worth getting and worth reading because, you know, it's an inside story. A lot of people can analyze like the abduction experience, but to be in there 
and have those experiences along with you as you write about it. And you're, you're so innocent in a way, the way you write about it, you just kind of come out, this is how it is. And, you know, there was one picture I wanted to show also where it looks like a crop circle you're drawing in there. Have you ever, do you know about the crop circles? Um, do you, do you know that one um, that you draw here? Let me, um, it's, it's a sort of, um, yeah, what is the, do you know? Do you remember drawing this? I remember, yeah, I remember drawing it. And I remember that I saw that pattern in a dream. Um, and to me, it signified darkness into light. Well, it looks, those circles, have you seen crop circles? They do a lot of these types mm -hmm. of circles. There's a crop, yeah, there are a lot of crop circles popped up in the late uh, 80s and late 90s that looked similar to some of the drawings and patterns that I had drawn. I'm not the only one. And I pointed it out to Colin Andrews and he knows about it. And, okay. and, and I am not, I'm not the only person on the planet that's been, that's drawn these things. And then they shown up in crops. Now, I don't know whether crop circles are man-made or not, but having said that, even if they're all man-made, someone put that design in that man's head. That's right. That's okay. Right. Well, I've been so, there and they, and you do feel a vibration in some of these crop circles. I was in the 888 crop circle on August 8th, 2008, in the form of an eight, this crops and it was in the center. I definitely felt the Kundalini activation in that crop circle. So I think it's great. So your, your experiences though, Deb, are, are not finished, right? You, they, you, right? I mean, I don't, my, my experiences have kind of morphed over the years, they're less physical uh -huh. and more metaphysical. I mean, right now I'm having like the, the, the little, you know, daytime daydream or whatever that was when I was talking to the little bubble, yeah. you know, uh, and lucid dreams, mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. Uh, maybe going somewhere else when I'm asleep and remembering, yeah. you know, speaking to somebody, it's it, so it's changed from the actual physical stuff where, you know, it's scooped out my leg and burned up my eyes and burned up my backyard to stuff going on up in here and right. at, on some other level, psychically, I guess. And, you know, so. Well, it seems like it's because you have evolved. You've opened up that. And then I allow that's because I let it. You yeah. know, that and that was a choice that I made. I, I made a choice to uh, to have faith in it and trust in myself, mm. you know, I had faith in my own instincts and trust in my own instincts. And all those years of me telling myself, it's okay. You're still alive. You're still here. Everything is all right. You know, mm. you, the universe is not going to, it's always going to provide you what you need. Just let it listen. Wow. So, and it, and it's worked. It has, and you're looking better and sounding better and you're clearer and more integrated. So something something good i mean just imagine what your life would be like if this never happened to you oh i can't even people have said to me Do, would you would you want this to not go away because in the beginning yeah if you'd asked me that when i was 23 i'd been like yeah but now it's like there's nothing about my life that would be remotely recognizable had it not happened to me i wouldn't be i wouldn't have nothing i don't know where i'd be right now or what i'd be doing
it's so strange to consider because everyone around you in Indiana is probably like who you could have been, right? <laughs> I mean, dude, I, mean, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, just I, doing their I, life. I, I'm, I'm, and I'm so very grateful. Every mm. single day of my life, I wake up and the first thing I say is thank you, thank you for this life and whatever I need to do today figure out some way to make me do it (laughs) well thank you for you know not being afraid to share who you are and and i I don't know it's inspiring for me it gives me it's like there is another reality i always knew it and there's this person who who had firsthand experiences so well let us know if the next time a paranormal adventure happens to you i will um, and um Thanks. And I'll, uh, I, I talk to Linda sometimes. I'll tell her I, I talked to you and um, tell her I said, hi, I will. She has a chapter in that book, actually, that I wrote. And um, I saw that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading the rest of them. Like I said, I've, I've yeah. gotten started on it and I read yours. I, I think you'll like John Mack's chapter because he did you ever meet John? I met him a couple of times, but introduced me to him and I met him at conferences, but I did not unfortunately get an opportunity to really get to know him or work any with him at all. And I was very sad about that because mm. I think he was amazing. He was amazing. And he makes, he sort of says what you're saying. There's, there's a whole other reality that we have to start to get used to. And he wasn't an experiencer, but he talked to a lot and he could not deny this happened to him. So we, he had to make sense of it. And the sense is that there's another reality that we're just not aware. We're not programmed to see. We're so, you know, conditioned to. to I always said human brains are tube type radios in Adobe digital surround sound world. And we can only pick up one tiny sliver of one signal. Like I'm sitting in this room right now and I've got Wi-Fi signals, television signals, radio signals, all kinds of stuff flying through me, through my body right now. But I'm completely oblivious to it because my brain isn't wired to pick that up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of life going on all around us all the time, but we are oblivious to it because we're not made to perceive it. Therefore, we can't receive it. And I feel like something is changing in human brains and some people can. And I see things every now and then that I, you know, and then it makes me wonder about some of the people that are in mental institutions. Who's to say that they just, you know, their filters are, are clogged up or something, but, you know, so there's, they're seeing stuff that we don't normally see, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm not trained to see it. No, but people got, I think if people can really realize that it's there, then they'll make an effort to change the way they think. And that'll start the process so that they'll be able to see it too. Right. I think that's really key. I'm working on an abduction case uh, that I think will be a breakthrough case, uh, a story of somebody that I know. And um, yeah, if we and I like what you just said. I think it's really key. If we're trained to see it, then it, other people start seeing it. It's like that gorilla video with the people playing basketball. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, mm, I just gave no. away the punchline. But anyway, these <laughs> I say to people, just count the number of passes in this little video, 
and they do and they're so focused on it and in the middle of that video there's a guy in a gorilla suit walk across the basketball court and nobody sees it because they're counting the balls that are being passed they're doing what you told them to do and that's what they're focused on that's and this is what so, so i'm to- changing the message i'm telling you to focus elsewhere for a minute and you're going to be surprised at what you see that's right thank yes that's right well it's been really fun i enjoy your sense of humor and your and just your freshness honesty just just yourself you know you know thank you i appreciate that yeah yeah and if you like the book you just let me know what you think of my book and, oh, right. Um, I definitely will. Oh, and who published your book? Who's the publisher of that? August book? Night Press. And it's and people can just buy it on Amazon, you know, Amazon um, Books a Million, any online bookseller, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's also uh, available, I think, on Kindle as well. Yeah, it is. I got the Kindle version mm-hmm. or I got, and, no, uh, I got the piece. Yeah. Yeah. You you can so Amazon or anywhere like that. And you can also visit my website. I think oh. my husband has links to where you can get it on that as well. What's the website? It's debshome.com. 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 D-E-B-S-H-O-M-E.com. Right. And are you writing anything? Are you, what are you working on now? Are you working on anything? Right now, I'm trying to just uh, work through some... Uh, personal stuff going on here getting everything situated my i just recently retired so we're getting you know getting our Mm -hmm. life reorganized for retirement and then uh i'm making notes and keeping tabs on every little thing and i'm probably going to put together more stuff hopefully Mm -hmm. another book in the next year or so plus put in i want to put more content on my website as well i just got a new computer with a camera and everything on it so i can do some video blogs and stuff you know stuff like that yeah do a blog if you get a download a message or have an experience it would be great to do a fresh blog yeah that that. and do you want to come to conferences should i mention your name to some sure okay yeah i i'm you know i'm open to that i mean i'm past the point of i'm I don't care what people think of me anymore. I used to be nervous and, you know, I don't care anymore. Right. No. But, and yeah. Are... Conferences would be great because I love to meet other people like me and they go to those conferences. So that's where I get to meet yeah. them all. Yeah. Yeah. There are some good ones. Contact in the desert. It didn't happen for the last two years, but that was a big one. And there's... I've never been to that one. I'll mention your name to that one. And, and that, oh, that... that'd be cool. That would be good. So um, yeah, I just want to say one more thing about Bud. It's too bad he, he kind of had, I think he was kind of sided with David Jacobs a little bit about the negative ETs and mm-hmm. he kind of missed the, what happened to you in a sense, the kind of evolution and awakening of consciousness that he, I don't think he understood that maybe or something. He, right? I think it near the end of his life, he did, you yeah. know, and yeah. um, for me and, but he, even when he didn't, really always agree with what my thoughts or perceptions were he was still um supportive and kind mm-hmm. with me you know just like any good parent would be and he just kind of let me go on my own way but yeah. uh yeah i felt like he, he was he felt like a father figure to me in a lot of ways well so without him i mean that was amazing what he did in the book going and visiting you and confirming i mean he was a pioneer uh, he spent three years of his life and all of his own money and time away from his family wow. for to help me 
wow. and my family. And sometimes I think he saved my life. Well, he, he put it in perspective and he, I, I would say he's the godfather of the UFO abduction experience. And I'm so fortunate and blessed to have had so much time with him, you know, yeah. early on in the beginning. And I had support from family and friends and coworkers mm. and workers and bosses and stuff that other people like me don't have. So uh, a part of this is me paying that forward too. I want to give that right. to other people. Right. And, 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 that, and that book that Bud wrote about Deb is, is this one, this is the paperback version intruders the incredible visitations at the copley woods copley woods is the name he made up right yeah that's a pseudonym for an area in indianapolis the right. suburb he calls you kathy davis because you didn't you were you weren't sure about using your real name at first. that was one of the stipulations that me and the family uh when we all agreed to finally let him write a book which we weren't on board with at first one right. of them was that we needed to use pseudonyms because we just want to protect ourselves and our children from you know but when did you decide you didn't need that pseudonym anymore after when uh my sister and i first started going out in public and then we wrote the first uh little like mm. two we wrote a small uh book between our the two of us called abduction uh -huh. the story of intruders continues or something like that and um I felt like if I'm going to speak about my experience out here in public on my own now without Bud, I need to put my name to it and own it. Otherwise, I feel like I don't I don't feel that, I, you know, it's credible if I'm not if I'm going to tell my story and I'm not even going to use my real name. Why would anybody believe me? I'm, right. I don't I wouldn't think that was good. So I wanted to own what I was about to tell people so they could understand this is important enough that I put my name on it and I'm yeah. not hiding behind a pseudonym anymore. My right. children were older and, you know, mm, we great. had things and your sister had experiences too, right? She was my older sister did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you again for spending all some time here with me and everyone watching. And um, well, I appreciate the invitation and I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. I'm grateful too that you're out there because it's important for people like me who've had not as intense experience, but you are saying it's okay. These experiences do happen and it's okay to believe that they're real. I think I still have this little bit of brainwashing I have to overcome saying that's impossible. I mean, but it's not. This is what the world is waking up to. This is what I really hope when that changes, I think there's more of a chance for human beings to survive. I mean, more of us to come together, more of us to realize we're, we're much more connected to each other and we don't need borders and wars and corporate America. <laughs> All right. We don't. Thank you. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Be in touch. Okay. All okay. right.